Okay, episode three of In the Saddle Shop. It's been like, I don't know, almost a year since I did my last one. And Reed Vite is in the shop here. He done a saddle course this week. And we actually listened to my other podcast. And I asked him if he wanted to do one. And he says, why not? So Reed Vite out of Malta, Montana. Do you got a Facebook page? I do. It's just saddle and strop barber shop. I'm a barber by trade, and I got my saddle shop in the back and the leather working stuff all in one building. It's pretty slick. Heck yeah. So how how'd you get into the leather work deal? Well, I first started out visiting with Lisa Solberg. Richland, Montana, which is way up north there, kind of by the Canadian border. And we talked about saddles, old Russell, the love muscle. He'd <laughs> built a couple saddles and done all kinds of stuff. And I kind of got an interest in tack. And I always wanted horses. I never had one of my own. And over that first quarantine <laughs> back last March or two years ago, we all got locked up, and I ordered a hide and went to building some tack and shit. I thought that was pretty slick. And then I got a little more into it, making head stalls and reins and hobbles and all that stuff. And nothing really good, but still, like, usable stuff. And I uh, got signed up to go to another saddle school over in Belgrade, and that was pretty good. And it just so happened to come out that I finished my first saddle exactly one year from when I made my first head stall. Oh, yeah. And I thought, oh, shit, that's pretty weird. And so then I kind of went along, and I took too long out of that saddle course to, to build another one. And a nice young gal asked me to build her a saddle, and so I got a tree and all the stuff and come down to Corey's to build it. And it just so happens that, well, I'd come down before I went to the saddle course, and Corey and I laced some taps. If there's any listeners out here that like to work hard, um, just call Corey. He'll have you lace some taps <laughs> for him. And so, yeah. It just so happened that we're working on this saddle exactly a year apart from when we first got our first batch of taps done together. It was pretty good. So, yeah. Yep. Minimum pay, maximum fun. Yes, maximum <laughs> fun at the Coyote Valley Academy <laughs> here in Broadus, Montana. So, you went to Belgrade. What would you think of that school? You know, the school... It's more popular school if people are looking into going to a saddle school and whatnot. It is. It's really popular. They got a Facebook page. They've got a pretty good following and all that stuff. And they take on about five students at a time. There's rooms all in that shop. It's a great big shop. There's a tooling station and several sewing machines and... And each student gets a big table and a saddle stand, a drawdown stand, and your own tree and leather, and you get to build a saddle with them. That's pretty good. But, you know, their saddles really stick out in the general mill of things. 
when someone is done with that school, you can sure spot a saddle that come out of there. And it just got to be where I came to Corey's because I was not confident enough to build this saddle on my own after I left there. And I should have been, and I, and I could have got it done, but I didn't want to just hack her together. I'm not saying that they hack it together, but there's a lot to be improved on. And the way that we learned in that school in Belgrade was the old way, the way things were done 50, 60 years ago. And that's not how I really wanted to do things. I don't do much halfway very well. So I figured I'd come down and visit Corey and build a saddle with him. And it's gone pretty good. I've sure learned a lot. If there's anyone out there listening that wants to build one or is interested in building one, I'm sure give Corey a shout. Yeah. How much of uh, what you learned in Belgrade did we do different here? Is there anything that we actually did the same? No, not one damn thing. Really? Yeah. Really not one thing at all that we did the same. Um so yeah, I kind of got to Was, see two different ways. Yeah, there. which is you can improve on either way. You got different ways of doing stuff. So yeah, Heck yeah. I talked to other guys that had went to that school, like big name builders, like old Brian Seaford up in uh, Powell, Wyoming. If you guys don't know who he is, you look him up. He's got a lot of good shit. He builds trees. He builds saddles. He's a talented craftsman. And I called him up because I like to pick everyone's brain. I'm not shy about picking up the phone. And I called him and just so happens he went to that same school that I did really? in Belgrade. Yep. And he told me, he said, you know, I wouldn't really be willing to take you on until you've probably got about 20 or 30 saddles under you. And then you'd start working on kind of the finer points and picking up a little bigger tricks, Yeah, you know? So he told me that that probably wouldn't work out too well, just going for the saddle number three. And he said, I don't remember one. I don't think that there's one damn thing I do the same as they did <laughs> in that school. And I really respect Dale Moore, and I really respect Cody. Cody uh, McDowell is his grandson works there. Yeah. They're really nice people. They're really, really good people. If you guys, I mean, I'm not knocking it at all, but it just wasn't quite what I was looking for when I got all done. I was really happy with the saddles when I left the school. And then when I got to using them, as far as a practical function, um, there it left a lot to be desired. And they have, yeah. They just have a different method of doing it. They do. They do. It works great for them and not so much for some other it people. Does. There's nothing wrong with it, but there's a lot of things different that the guy could do to yeah. maybe make things better. You but, know, Dale, he packed for the Forest Service for almost, I mean, goddamn near 30 years. And to hear the story of how he got into the Forest Service and how he got to be a packer for them is just hilarious. He is set up to fail, and he come out ahead, and there's actually a movie about him. Um, it's kind of weird, indirect, but it's called The Ranger, The Cook, and The Hole in the Sky. Oh, yeah? Is what it's called. You guys look that up. It's a pretty good one. But uh. 
Yeah, shit. And I did a pack saddle course there too. After I got done with my saddle course, he offered a pack saddle course because huh. Dale is just a wealth of knowledge about packing in mules and riding and all that stuff up in the mountains into the really rough terrain. When we think of rough terrain, we think of cedar breaks and bluffs and shit. When he says rough terrain, he's talking about mountains yeah, and steep trails and all that. And so I built a Decker pack saddle and it was a lot of fun. I mean, goddamn, that was fun building <laughs> that pack saddle. And so... I got to do that. There was not a whole... I mean, that one went good. I made my britching a little bit too big. Like, there's there's always stuff to improve on. Right. And anyone out there who's a crafter should be striving to improve everything that they do all, exactly. all the time. Yep. All the time and get that yep. done. How Dale got into the Forest Service... Was he was a young man, he was probably about my age, like well, I'm 23, but he was like 19, and there was a job that come open and it said wanted experienced packers. And Dale had never tied a pack onto a mule one day in his life, he thought that that'd be kind of cool, so he put in for it. And there was like 40 or 50 people who put in for this job, and they picked him. Mm. Well, they they had interviews. They narrowed him down to the top eight. And then he, he found out why later, I'll tell you. But they narrowed him down to the top eight. And they wanted to have like a half an hour interview with these people. A practical interview. They had a mule standing there. They had a pack saddle. All the shit. They wanted you to tie a pack on. And just show them what you know about animals. Dale did not know shit about packing yeah nothing so the entire half an hour he just bullshitted them <laughs> and he picked up the feet and he taught them he told them how to ha like walk around one safely and how to feed them and take care of them and anyways he got the job all right and <laughs> he was just like holy shit like how was the luck on that and yeah so what was happening was there was two men at a packer station and they were both big dicking each other to be boss. Somehow they both kind of come up with the same title and they're both fighting to get the rule of the roost. So they hired Dale with the intent to fire him. So he would be hired and then one guy would fire him and say, okay, well, you're not the fucking boss like I am. I just fired that kid, you know. And so anyways, they took him up to the top of the mountain to people. Well, he, they told him to meet him somewhere, and so he met him at a little station at the foot of the mountains, and they waited and waited and waited. They made him wait there for like four or five hours until it was just damn near dark, like a couple hours from dark. And So then they said, all right, it's time to go. And they rode him up to the top of the mountain where he was to start his packing, down to the base camp which was further into the mountains and he had to go through some nasty shit and they took him to the top of the mountain and they said okay there you go and he had crates of food crates of canned goods to tie onto these mules to take and he had a big long coulee to go down um a big steep grade to go down before he got to um the bottom and then he had like 
five or i mean no probably like 10 or 15 miles up the creek to the base camp and the guys that took him up there were in on the whole plan he said well where's the base camp and they said well we don't know it's over there they just kind of pointed told him well you got you just pack these on and you take off you know and so he thought well fuck i guess i will and so <laughs> he caught these mules and he got them tied up and he got them packs on and he's lifting these big crates of food by himself and just wrapping them on there any way that he could right and so he gets his big string of six or eight mules and starts down this hill when you start out packing when you tie a pack onto an animal you start out on level ground or you go uphill and then you ride for like 10 minutes and then you get down and you have to check everything check all the cinches check all the packs and you make sure that your shit is good and they set him up for failure headed downhill he said by the time he got to the bottom of the hill he had lost every pack <laughs> off of every mule had fallen off of there and so he got him back and he picked up all of his shit and got it all up and with mules they're really a funny animal i own two of them and in a pack string they're even funnier like you don't you know like with a team it's the wheel mule and then the lead mule the wheel mule is way back close to your wagon and the lead mule is way up in the front you don't switch those around willy-nilly like that's their spot and they know their spot so if one, if they've packed together, like in one is in third place, you don't take him and put him in the second place because he'll fuck it all up. They'll yeah. get the, they'll just screw up the pack string really bad. Mm. And so he didn't know that. So these mules, he has no idea what place they are in and they're just floundering all over. And he said he'd get them lined out and then they'd all get wrapped up in the willows, you know, a big long string of mules and he finally got to the camp by the grace of god at like four o'clock in the morning <laughs> and he said i had shit scattered all over and it had rained on him and it had frozen all of his ropes and he had got that shit back to the camp big loggers camp they're clearing a trail and this is in the 1940s and so he went to the cook tent the cook tent was there. Someone met him and said, oh, you made it. The cook has something cooked for you in the tent. And so he went into the cook and he ate something. And then the cook said, all right, your sleeping is in this other tent, a great, another great big long tent, like a 100-foot long wall tent, pretty narrow, and there's cots lined up on either side. And his he didn't know where the hell his empty cot was. And he went in there and there was miners or loggers all sleeping in there and so he went in and was rousting them all up trying to get his bed they're all cussing him out yeah. just you know you can imagine how it was oh, yeah. waking you up feeling you all over and <laughs> so he thought fuck this and he went and about six o'clock he went out and got them mules and he's picking up his packs and there's a really famous packer and anyone anyone who knows anything about packing knows cloisy man was the head packer of this outfit. Cloisy was really a scary guy, a great big guy, and he didn't say much either. And he was one of the guys that they were trying to big dick out of position. 
Hendale went and he got his pack saddles and he's going to go and he gets these meals and Cloisy comes up to him and he says, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to go back and try and pick up some of my supplies and bring them back here. And he said, no, you're not. He said, you're going to put that fucker down and you are going to go and get, you're going to go to the cook tent and you're going to wait there until I come and get you. And so he went there, and by that time, he went to the cook tent, and everyone ate breakfast. Then he sat there, and he sat there, and everyone came in and ate lunch. He sat there, and he sat there. Everyone came in and ate dinner. And the cook was an ornery old fucker, just a mean bitch. And the cook looked at him, and he said, you know what they're going to do to you, right? He said, no, I don't know what they're going to do to me. And he says, well, they're going to fire you. As an example, they're going to make an example out of you. And so he knew it was coming. And pretty soon old Cloisy comes and gets him. And he said, he came and called him to his tent. And he went to his tent and he sat down. And he said, uh, you know what I'm going to do? Well, he sat there and he looked at him. They're sitting across the table from each other and sat there for like 10 or 15 minutes you know really getting the amp up and Dale almost went I quit you know right there and beat him to the punch but he didn't do it and Cloisy said you know what I'm going to do to you son Dale said no he says I'm going to teach you how to pack and in the meantime they had trail to break another part of the story before Cloisy called him in and told him that they gave him the worst trail. Each man had probably like a 30-yard stretch to dig every day. He had to dig it two feet down. He had to clear any rocks, any brush. He had to make a nice trail. And they gave Dale the shit part with trees, big trees and rocks and boulders to dig. So everyone else was done digging their section of the trail at like 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And Dale was working out there until 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Just worked his ass off for a fucking week. One night he said, fuck this, and he was leaving. He was wa- he was just going to walk out. He had no other way to get gone. And he was walking out through the mountains, and he thought he heard the, the ghost of his dad say to him, Dale, finish what you started. Mm. And he went back. And anyways, he dug all that trail, and then Cloisy made him sit in that tent for a long, long time, and said, well, I'm going to teach you how to pack, because he had proven proven himself not a little bitch, because he worked so hard for him, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they became best pals, and they packed together a lot, and yeah. And then mm-hmm. Dale was a guide. He had done lots of stuff up in the mountains with his horses and mules, and he had packed and outfitted and done all kinds of stuff. It was quite, he, yeah. he really has had quite the life. He is an interesting feller to be Yeah, around. I bet. Uh, yeah. So, aside from the barber shop and the saddle shop, you do trapping on the side, too. I do. Tell I us do. a little bit about your trapping. Oh, I'm up in northeast Montana. There's quite a few coyotes around, and it's fairly open country. Down here in Broadus, we've got a lot of breaks and sagebrush and big old sandstone rocks and all that kind of shit and it just 
is different up there. I mean, there's coolies and sagebrush flats and alkali gumbo shit like there is everywhere else, but lots of grain fields and kind of open grass pastures and farm fields and all that kind of stuff. There's quite a few coyotes. A guy, guy learns to trap pretty well if you get after it. There's ample opportunity. Yeah. Yes. How many did you get this year? Well, I'd rather not say. Oh, quite a few, though. I got quite a few. It was a record year for me. And the price was down. I don't know if that had something to do with it. Um, not everyone was out after them. Yeah. Lots of people, when the price hits about 100 bucks a head, and they don't have to skin them when they can, buy, when they can sell them on the carcass. Yeah. Every swinging dick is out there after them <laughs> bad. And they had a good hatch this year. Um, they really did. There was an ass ton of grasshoppers. And for people who don't know, coyotes eat a lot of grasshoppers. A lot, a lot of grasshoppers. In the early fall, before the grasshoppers are dead or go down into their burrows, um, it's pretty easy to mistake a coyote shit for a raccoon shit that's plumb full of grain. It's just black and full of... It looks like grain, but it's not. It's grasshoppers. Huh. They get so fat, those grasshoppers get so fat that they can only fly so far, and those coyotes yeah, can just oh, yeah. eat them up really yeah. quick. Yeah. That really helps with the pup population, too, when those pups first get kicked off of the tit. Um, they make their living a lot on grasshoppers and a lot on mice. Mm -hmm. But with the drought, the mice really died off. I mean, there was hardly a mouse to speak of. Huh? There's there's night hunters around who have big fancy thermal shit. They said that they did not see many mice while they were out hunting. And yeah. they could see them, too, if they were there. And rabbits were down. Like, the cottontail rabbit population didn't do worth a fuck. And neither did the, co neither did the jackrabbits. But there were still some of those around. Not, not near enough to speak of, though. There was times to pull in by a haystack and have 30 or 40 rabbits sitting there. Yeah. It was bad. Huh. It was really bad. Oh, and the man. drought took its toll on all animals, but it seemed like the birds did very well. The upland game birds, the grouse, and the pheasants, and the huns. I jumped a lot of huns that... I'm assuming made their living on those grasshoppers. Oh, it's cool. Really good. So there was there was food around for them. The ones that I got were really in good condition. You get a lot of little pups that uh, they never they never ever have much to for fat. You pretty much don't even have to flush them. They're just sinew. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're just trying to make a living, and you just happen to get them. Yeah. The, the thing that bothers me, now that I've got a platform to stand on with the Coyote Valley Academy, <laughs> the thing that bothers me about some people, they always say, well, you that one was stupid. They say, well, raccoons are stupid. Or, you know, a pup coyote is really dumb. Yeah. All this shit. Yeah. They're not. They're not dumb. No. They, do, they just don't know any better. Right. They're just trying to make a living. Yeah. And you just happen to get them. Yeah, they're getting screwed up because all the, the more mature coyotes, 
they're getting everything else. They're just living oh, yeah. off scraps, so they're taking whatever they can find. Yeah. And it just so happens that they're they're a little more desperate than something else, probably. They are. Yeah. They are. They're way more desperate. If you ever pull up to a to a bait pile, usually, if you've got an open country and you pull up to a bait pile that you've put out or something like that, sometimes there will be a coyote that's really doesn't want to leave at yeah, all yeah and most of the time those are pups and they'll just kind of slink around or they'll stop and they'll look at you and then they'll trot off over the hill or something the reason that they do that is because they've had to fight to get onto that pile in yep. the first place yeah then bigger dogs can get on there and they run them pups off or they kill them but i've yeah i've never seen where they've killed a pup coyote where another coyote has killed a pup coyote but i've seen many times where they've killed fox yeah yeah they get them red fox don't have a prayer in hell <laughs> um when when a coyote wants to kill him they're gonna kill him yeah i pulled up um this has happened to me twice now or maybe three times i've pulled up to my traps and had a coyote had a fox leg in there that was pulled off completely at the shoulder Jeez. Like the whole shoulder blade was still in the yeah. arm and everything in the hide. Yeah. And they grabbed them fox and they yanked them so hard. And they were not small fox. Both times they were big males. Big male fox. And those coyotes get them. They always skin the tail just like they pull the bone right out of it. Jeez. Because fox will turn. Usually when you walk up to a coyote in a trap, he'll watch you real close. Fox, he don't give a fuck. He's trying to get away. And he'll whip around. They'll turn their back to you, which yeah. is not a very common thing. And they'll lunge that chain. And when they turn to lunge it away from those coyotes, those coyotes grab them by the tail and completely skin them. And you'll mm. find that the white ball of their tail will be laying about 20 or 30 feet close to your Jeez. set. Then that fox, if you look hard enough, he's usually within about... 10 or 15 feet of your set and yeah. they'll have his ear tore off they'll have his skull crushed Jeez. um oh yeah they fuck him up really bad <laughs> they, they must tear him just like a rag doll. i guess and it's hard to be mad because it's quite the display <laughs> but yeah no they're really territorial, territorial like yeah yeah my buddy jim holseth he said that he watched there was four fox four red fox on a beef carcass and a coyote was trying to come in on it and those four fox ran it off hmm. i don't they jumped up on top of there and then they'd make runs at that coyote and they actually hazed it off hmm. he never did get on there while he was inside yeah huh. interesting dynamics there yeah he trapped and you're you're a mule man too, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm fixing to be. He's all about the mules. I think mules are cooler than hell. <laughs> and I I guess I like him a lot because not very many other people ride them. Yeah. And I just think that that's neat. I think they get a bad rap for being stubborn, but they are stubborn, but they're really smart. Yeah. I mean, they're way. People will argue this, and you bleeding hearts out there just get to crying, but they're smarter than a horse is. 
They think shit through a lot more. Yeah. And the thing about a mule is they will not hurt themselves. Like a horse might go out into the pasture and do something plumb foolish. You know, run into a T-post or um, jump over a goddamn fence and get wrapped up. Or get cut on tin and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure everyone who has horses knows all about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Mules won't do that shit. They, people who have had mules a lot, lot longer than me say that they've only ever had to take their mule in once or maybe even twice for a vet bill. Yeah. Because they just don't do stuff like that. They're all about self-preservation. If they think they're going to... In my experience, mules have been a little bit more aggressive when it comes to self-preservation. To where they're almost like a teenage girl. You know how teenage girls are so snarky and mean? <laughs> it's because they think, well, you're going to hurt me? Well, I'm going to hurt you. Yeah. They do shit like that. Yeah. Whereas a horse, if he thinks you're going to hurt him, he's just going to try and get away from you. Right. And mules are kind of like that, too. They just kind of say, well, I'm done. And they'll go. They can run. And they're so strong. And they're so fast. With a horse, like if a horse is going to try and run away from you while you've got his halter on, you can usually yank his head around and get him to stop. Wouldn't you agree, Corey? Yeah, if you can get the right angle on him. If you can get the right angle on him, you can get him yanked around. There's no doing that with a mule. Yeah. They can take their head and just get away from (laughs) you. Mine have gotten away from me several times, but not ever out in the open. Just kind of... In the barn where we could always get them back again. Right. And jump. They both could jump really well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're kind of preferred pack animal because they know exactly how wide that load is. And they won't push up on trees and, and yeah. stuff like that. And yeah. bash your stuff on rocks because they're very aware of their surroundings and what's on them. Yeah. And they know where every one of their feet is. They don't hardly trip or stumble. or yeah. And they can fall down, but they usually don't. Yeah. Um, my old buddy Wyatt Lash, he's in Pierre, South Dakota. He's a good horseman and a barber as well. I met him in barber school. Um, a guy told him a story that he was packing in the mountains. And he was walking along a really, really steep grade. And it plumb crumbled out from underneath of him and him and his horse fell down in a hole and as they were falling his instinct was to dally up his first mule and he did he dallied up his first mule and as his horse went down that mule just stopped and went to its knees Mm. but held down yeah and kind of held him up and him and his horse climbed out of there and his mules got around that break somehow and they never had a problem Uh, stuff like that but you've got to earn their trust first yeah if they don't trust you you're not going to get them to do jack shit yeah and that can infuriate that infuriates (laughs) a lot of horsemen you know yeah they think oh you goddamn beast you just get moving right now you know and mules are like well i'm kind of worried about that i'm i don't know if you're gonna hurt me or if that's gonna eat me or right. something like that so kind of like it kind of like a damn dog they they gotta think things through a little bit more so yeah how you handle them is gonna directly reflect on how they do their job it is 
And some guys get all pissed off at their dog for, they're like Catahoula, they'll, they'll get pissed off at them for barking and they'll end up shooting the dog. Well, shit, he's doing what he's bred to do. <laughs> Bark. Yeah, he's, he's baying critters just like he's supposed to do. Some people, well, he's, they don't like it or whatever, you know, and there's a thousand examples of that to where, you know, they'll have a border collie and they'll be trying to push cattle and the collie's a head dog instead of a heel dog or vice versa. It's usually, it's usually people have troubles with head dogs because they'll be trying to push them through your gate and that dog's trying to bring them back over top of them. Well, if they just walk through the damn gate, the dog's going to bring them to them, but they don't, or if they don't to... figure out how them dogs work, so... Or if you're trying to get a two-year-old bull up out of a creek and your dog fucks you up. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Shit. We have a mutual friend that his dogs just really like to screw everything up. And Reed was telling me about this story about trying to get a bull out of there and about the time they get the bull lined up and head the right direction, the damn dog would come bite him in the nose and send him the wrong way. <laughs> and that's about par. But... It is. He is hollering. He's like, no, no, don't bite him right now. And the dogs <laughs> run up and bit that bull right in the face and drove him back down in the creek. And he stopped and he's like, all he heard was bite him right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dogs are funny about that. Yeah. Dogs and horses especially like to make you look like an asshole whenever possible. And fucking mules, holy Yeah, God. I haven't been around mules, but I can imagine it'd be yeah. Yeah. even worse. So tomorrow I'll head out from Broadus and I'll go back home for a day. Then I'm headed to Billings with my mules and I'm going to work with a gal. My girlfriend and I are going to work with a gal over there on them and hopefully get a little better understanding of how to handle them and what to do with them and just how to kind of make a good mule how to get into their brain because they're not the same critter as a horse yeah. at all yeah so what else we got we got you trapping mule man barbers oh i got i'm a pilot oh yeah a pilot too yeah, He's I, a jack of all trades, ladies. That's kind of what I strive to be. I can't remember something else I'm really interested in, but yeah. Books. He reads a lot of books. Oh, I like books. <laughs> Knowledge is power. Yeah. And if you've got to pay to get it, I mean, if you deem it worth it or if it's something that you're interested in, by all means... Go so, for it. So that is one thing that we talked about a little bit was you you got interested in trapping instead of just spending your money and and screwing off and thinking that you could figure it out. You paid somebody to teach you how to trap, and then it's kind of the same way with the saddle deal. You went to that school, and then you came here. Uh, talk a little bit about why 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 it's worth your time just to go somewhere and learn the right way the first time. Because if you just want to learn the right way the first time, you're going to just, you're still going to make mistakes. I mean, no matter what you're going to do, you're going to make mistakes. And mm. there's no shame in that at all. You're just better off. You're farther ahead. Um, 
if you're a competitive person, I am and I'm not at the same time, you're going to be ahead of your competition if you go and, and learn from someone who already knows their shit. Um, yeah, it just, if you're going to do it, do it whole hog. Yeah. That's the way that I kind of am. Yeah. With the pilot's license, I'm not so much whole hog, and I'm kind of embarrassed about that, but the plane that I was renting kind of, it's up for sale, and it's out of annual, and so I haven't been able to fly in a while, but that's a different story. Um, right. Yeah. You know, with trapping, I knew I wasn't going to cut it the way that I was doing it at that point in time. And it was just simple things like I screwed up a lot on location and how to bait or how to lure your traps and how to bait your traps and location. And sometimes the coyotes just aren't there. You could set a trap in a really just a sweet looking spot. But if there's not coyotes around, you're not going to catch them. Right. You're not. And if you take four or five or six out of an area over the course of a week or two, don't wait. Don't fucking camp on those traps if there's not something there to bring them in. Now, if you've got a big old carcass or a big old bait or something that's bringing those coyotes in, by all means, stay. But just simple things like that. But I paid a guy... I just walked up to a guy at his lure booth one day and I said, hi, I'm Reed Vite. I'm from Malta, Montana. I said, are you, I said, I'm interested in buying some time on your line. And by this time I figured I'd known about all that there is to know about trapping. You know, I'd read, a, <laughs> I'd read a whole lot of books and just really read, green, just man. read every fucking book that I could and took every advice and picked every person's brain in the, at that point in time i thought if you have trapped a coyote you are a master no oh, yeah people think people think coyotes are so smart and they are they're smart they're a crafty critter and i i very much respect them for that but they're not so smart or else they'd be trapping us <laughs> that's what i say but yeah. I just walked up to him and I said, hi, I'm Reed Vite. I am interested in buying some time on your line if you'll have me. And so he hemmed and hawed and he said, all right, well, yeah, we could do that. What would you like to trap? I said, I'd like to trap coyotes and beavers. And he said, okay. He said, have you trapped before? I said, yeah, I've been trapping for four years. He said, oh, good deal. He said, how do you do? Like, how many have you caught? And I kind of got to grin, and I said, well, last year I trapped five, you know? <laughs> and, and he looked at me in my face, and if you guys know Jim Halseth, which I'm sure you don't, he looked at me, he goes, oh, so you know nothing. <laughs> and I was like, well... And I started to tell him all those things that I know, you yeah, know, all, these, yeah, all this stuff, yeah. and... He goes, no. He goes, you know too much. You know too much and you're confused. Yeah. And I was. And he got me lined out and I still made mistakes. I made mistakes this year even. And I, that was four years ago. Yeah. That I trapped. But um, that foot trapping, I mean, it's a different game 
folks, but yeah. But you're not talking 510 coyotes. You're talking several hundred coyotes yeah, nowadays. So. I am. I am. It can really make the difference. It can really, really make the difference going to someone and then getting that. And you don't have to do everything exactly like they do. But it gives you ground to work off of. That's right. And that's just like I didn't have to do everything the exact same way that I learned in uh, Belgrade. Right. With the saddles. And I don't have to do everything the exact same way that I learned here in Broadus. Right. Although I probably will try to do it that way or similar. But there's always it, mistakes it, in the road. It's enough to make you dangerous to start start on your own. Though. It is. It's enough to make you dangerous. And thing that I I preach pretty hard, and, and I think it, <laughs> it it was almost like it irritated you because you're like, okay, where's the pattern for this? Shit, I don't got a pattern for that. I just draw it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not it's not so much that I couldn't have a set pattern. It's that every saddle is a little bit different, so I just draw the patterns and. And that's smart. It's you're constantly evolving so if you use your same pattern every time you're not really evolving you're just you're doing the same thing over and over and over again if you're drawing all your patterns it's you're you're evolving you're doing better every time and and i would like hopefully someday i will have a lot of set patterns that say, okay well this is my pattern and go off of that but every pattern that i do it's well i change this and this and this so the next time i just make a mental note and i just do it but yeah that's one thing that i that i like to preach is making your own patterns and doing your own thing and making your own style and the more that you do you're you're going to develop your own style yeah and but but coming from like what we was talking about with uh paying somebody to teach you I, I mean, I went to saddle school and we learned some stuff, but if I went to like a, a reputable, reputable maker and learned how to do it from them right away and then progress from there, I'd be way further ahead than I am right now because I just, I'm getting to the point now to where I'm doing what a reputable maker be doing instead of starting out that way and then progressing from there so. yeah and another thing that i learned here it's made me realize that things that i've turned out of my own shop before i came here were pretty rough pretty rough looking and i'm leaving here i'm leaving Corey's now with a better understanding of how things should look how things should go um and what standard to hold yourself to as far as all that yeah goes yep. and if you're gonna do it if you're gonna take it and get it into someone else's hands you gotta look at yourself and say okay am i am i happy with this am i proud to put this out there for yep. other people to see yeah and sometimes you might just need a paycheck and think, oh, shit, it'll work. <laughs> That's not a good way to be. No. It's not. You start you start thinking, well, that's good enough for the girls I run with. Well, I don't run with any girls, so it don't have to be that good. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But you got to, you got to, that's the best it's ever going to look. When it leaves your shop, that's the best it will ever look. 
Yes. And if you're not happy with it, it's just going to go downhill from there. That's just like the guy who taught me to trap. He said, when you leave that set, he's like, it's going to be perfect. That is the last time that that fucker is going to look perfect. If yep. you have to dig that trap up one more time, yep. you're going to screw it up. Yep. If you have to do something one more time, it's going to ruin it. You right. know? And, and not ruin it, but not make it exactly like you want it to be. So just do it right. Yeah. Just yep. do it right. Just you won't do it have right any first trouble. Time. Yeah. And there's always going to be bumps in the road. You know, a skunk or badgers oh, yeah. or raccoons yeah. or... Them damned little swift fox, they'll dig them all up. It it just is a bitch, but you just do it. Yeah. If I had to you give any ad- advice. Adapt and overcome. That's man. right. If I had to give any advice out there to people is just to get off your ass and just go. Just do it. The The biggest problem is starting in the first spot. Yeah. Is in the first place. And people say, well, I'd like to trap. I'd like to do what you do. It's like, well, then do it. Yeah. You just got to take the plunge. And my folks shake their head because they're they're not plunge people. (laughs) But (laughs) I am. Yeah. They said, well, why do you want to get your pilot's license? I said, because I think it's cool. (laughs) I said, I think that's going to be awesome. And God damn it is. Yeah. And people said to me, they said, well, you're not going to be able to trap. You're not going to be able to make a go of that. And I said, well, bullshit. Watch me. And so I did. Uh, so much of that crap, too, is is people, are, you know, just like that deal. Well, you're, you won't be able to make a go of it and blah, blah, blah. i tell you what. So much of that shit is just the simple fact of living within your means. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, you might... There's a guy making two grand a month, and he's just plum tickled, and he's still buying rounds at the bar. And there's a guy making ten thousand dollars a month, and he's still pissed because he's not making enough because yes. he's spending it all on stupid shit. Yeah, like live within your means, figure out what you're making a month, and and live within your. In if you're wanting to save up to go to school or whatever you're doing, yep. Figure that. Okay, now I need to make a little bit more to set back for whatever, but. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you you have a saddle shop. Yeah. Well, what else do you do? That, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh. Like, well, I'm plum happy being broke. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad living if you don't mind eating beans and tortillas. See, but. the thing is, is like the guy who taught me how to trap. We have this discussion all the time of is not to get trapped, not to get hooked, on a paycheck. Hmm. I have no problem working for other people, and I enjoy it. But people get trapped at these jobs. They get hooked on that steady, that base income. Okay, so you've got a base income coming in. Let's say you make two or three thousand dollars a month. That's all you can make. There's no room for improvement. Now he's a gambler. He like he'd fucking roll a dice. For a thousand bucks, he'd flip a coin for a hundred dollars. He's tried to get me to do it several times. <laughs> I, won't, I won't do it, but he said I like to either win big or go, or broke. go down. You know, yeah. he's like I either go at it hard or I don't. You know, yeah. and he's been trapping for fifty years, and he sat down one morning. He don't sleep hardly, and he told me that day. He said, "You know, Reed, I got to figuring." He said, I've driven about a million miles on my trap lines, and I made about a million dollars doing it all together. And 
he's like, I just always just took the plunge. People always will say that you can't, and you can. There's yeah. no, there is no can't. Yeah. There's no can't at all in yeah. life. Now you could say, well, I can't go buy that new pickup. Well, that might be true, but get where you can. Yeah. Or whatever. You just gotta well, try. You gotta live within your means. Yes. You know. If you're if you're only making fifteen hundred dollars a month, be happy with that and yeah. make it work. If you're making ten thousand dollars a month, you gotta figure out how to be happy with that because there's always somewhere hot like the more money that you make, the more money you spend. I don't give a shit who you are. Yeah, you're making twenty thousand dollars a year, or you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year. You're still struggling because you're spending more money because you think you can afford shit. Yep. That's my opinion, anyway. Yeah, it's probably bullshit. And that's but. a good point, though. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. How many how many doctors that you know are like you're making shitload of money? But they're still trying to make rent and everything else. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, yeah, you're trying to make rent or or your mortgage or whatever. Well, yeah, but he's got a boat and he's got all this other shit. Well, the yeah. more money you make, the more money you spend. Well, say, the guy that's making $20,000 a year, he's the same way. He's still trying to make rent. He might not have a fancy boat or anything, but he's got fancy bits and shit like that. Yeah. I know a lot of, well, lots of cowboys or... Not really cowboys per se, because they never have no money, but uh, like farmers or ranchers, they got a lot of money. Some some people do, not all of them. So don't don't start crying <laughs> on me. But they got quite a bit of money, and yet their places are just shabs, just oh, in yeah. shambles. No, they hardly have fucking running water, and they're. Oh, I'm barely getting by. It's like bullshit you are, you son of a bitch. Yeah. You're just being a tight ass. There was a guy come in to me. Okay, a guy came into my leather shop, and he's a good friend of mine, and I'm not going to say his name. But his big, he gets gout real bad, and his feet swell up. His big toe had rubbed a hole through the outside of his boot top. Right? So he comes in, and he says, um, I'm needing something to patch this boot with. He said, I bought a new pair. He goes, and don't you be looking at me like that, you little son of a bitch. <laughs> he said, I bought a new pair of boots. They're just not broken in yet. I said, all right, well, why don't you just start wearing them and break them in, you know? And he's like, well, I, I just got these boots right where I want them, you know? And so I cut him out a little piece of leather and skived it down. And yeah. he fucking glued it on there, and he's still wearing them. That was months <laughs> ago. A guy who has money, but he's got goals. You know, oh, he wants shit, to build there's... a shop, and he's yeah. he lives on the meager. <laughs> but, yeah, oh, I just shit, thought that like was a, funny. Like the old time rancher, he just made you know half a million selling calves or whatever. Yeah, uh, still driving an old beat up pickup because heaven forbid anybody know that he made some money. You know, it's no joke. God, I had a guy that came in the shop one day. And he actually called me. I was out day working and called me. Hey, I heard you got a saddle shop here in town. I wonder if you're going to be around. Yeah, I'll be there a half hour, hour, whatever it was. Show up and this guy walks in. I mean, you could smell the pot off this dude. Oh, he was freaking rank, man. And comes in and drunk and high and, and 
anyways, he's needing a belt. I'm like, well, I can make you a belt, yeah. <clears throat> well, he's like, what the hell? Just wanted a plain belt or whatever. So I was like, all right, well, 100 bucks. And I was hoping that 100 bucks would scare him away because I didn't want to do it anyway. Oh, him haul around, him haul around, you know. And I had this guy make me a belt 20 years ago, and he only charged me $30 for it. And I was like, well, go back to him and have him make well, he's out of business now. Well, no shit. I wonder why, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, we get we get talking, and uh, he's like, oh, okay. Is that 100 bucks? Is it, yup. He's like, well, if you come down to the bar and have a drink with me, I'll I'll, I'll do it. Like, All right, yeah. So we go down there, and he buys the rounds, and... And he's like, you know what? I, I want two belts now. He's like, okay, 200 bucks. And he gives me a $100 bill for half of it. And then I get to talking to him. Some of a bitch is a, like a plastic surgeon or some shit. And he's got, a, <laughs> he's got a house in Red Lodge and one in Florida. And like, and what the hell? Was, like New York or some damn thing. And he just kind of bounces around and does his own thing. Oh, shit. Like, you tight son of a bitch. He's wanting to argue because he's wanting me to do it for, like, 50 bucks or something. Like, yeah. No. So, tight bastard, he's wanting me to 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 knock some money off. And it's like, you, you asshole, you made more money in one year than I do in 10. Yeah. No <laughs> Screw you, dude. Yeah. But not everybody is as broke as we are, though. Like, people that are wanting nice shit, they're going to have the money to pay for it and yeah. Even like a belt, I think it's freaking nuts that anybody would want a $500 belt, and yet I sell them all the time. Yeah, that's crazy. That is crazy. You got it. When you're pricing things out, you got to price them like you don't want to do them more or less. And like, if you're going to do it, you're actually going to get paid to do it type thing. Yep. That is true. Not everybody is broke as we are. And you got you got time invested into it, and you got tools and everything else, and yeah. Especially the the pay thing is a, a very hard part of when you start doing the the custom stuff. Yeah. Everybody wants to do everything super cheap so they can get more orders, which is fine. But then you're starting to compete with the mexican shit that you can buy a belt well and that's a big thing like, well, i can buy a belt at walmart for 10 or 15 bucks like well yeah you can or you can buy one that's gonna last you 20 years yeah. and you're gonna spend another you know however many dollars worth of belts in the next 50 years so true do it once and do it right that is true yeah, yeah. So what'd you think of coming up here and building your first saddle or not your third saddle, I guess. You know, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, I learned, I mean, I learned a ton. Yeah. Way more than I expected to learn. And it just was, it was a good time up here at the Coyote Valley Academy. And I really recommend it to anyone. Yeah. Just go ahead and, Spend a little money and do it right the first time, though, huh? That is correct. Alrighty. Well, we will get off here 
and let our six listeners get back to doing whatever they're doing. <laughs> Hell yeah. You guys have a good night. Anything else, Mr. Reed? Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around every now and again, you might miss it. That is very true. You're never going to get out alive. Yep. All right, boys and girls, we got shit to do and glue the sniff.